Um, Does somebody want to just go ahead and if you're if you're trying to uh, if you're trying to read, you're not. Uh, nobody's unmuted. So if you're trying to read, you need to unmute yourself. That's all. And I can't see who's on here right now. So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, send men to scout the lands of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelite people. Send, send one man from each of the ancestral tribes, each one a chieftain among them. So Moses, by the Lord's command, sent them out from the wilderness of Paran, all the men being leaders of the Israelites. And these were their names, from the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, son of Zakur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, son of Nun, from the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu, from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodi, from the tribe of Joseph, namely the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, son of Susi, from the tribe of Don, Amiel, son of Gamali, from the tribe of Asher, Sethur, son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, son of Vofsi, from the tribe of Gad, Guel, son of Mahi. Those were the names of the men whom Moses sent to scout the land. But Moses changed the name of Hosea, son of Nun, to Joshua. When Moses sent them to scout the lands of Canaan, he said to them, go up there into the Negeb and into the hill country and see what kind of country it is. Are the people who dwell in it strong or weak? few or many? Is the country in which they dwell good or bad? Are the towns they live in open or fortified? Is the soil rich or poor? Is it wooded or not? And take pains to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Now it happened to be the season of the first ripe grapes. They went up and scouted the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob and at Lebo Hama. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, where lived Ahiman, Shashai, and Talmai, the Anakites. Now Hebron was founded seven years before Zoan of Egypt. They reached the Wadi Eshol, and there they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes. It had to be borne on a carrying frame by two of them and some pomegranates and figs. That place was named the Wadi Eshol because of the cluster that the Israelites cut down there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from scouting the land. They went straight to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. And they made their report to them and to the whole community as they showed them the fruit of the land. This is what they told them. We came to the land you sent us to. It does indeed flow 
with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who inhabit the country are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the Anakites there. Amalekites dwell in the Negev region. Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites inhabit the hill country, and Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Caleb hushed the people before Moses and said, let us by all means go up and we shall gain possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we cannot attack that people, for it is stronger than we. Thus they spread calumnies among the people, the Israelites, about the land they had scouted, saying, the country that we traversed and scoured is one that devours its settlers. All the people that we saw in it are men of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The Anakites are part of the Nephilim. And we looked like grasshoppers to ourselves. And so we must have looked to them. The whole community broke into loud cries and the people wept that night. All the Israelites railed against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in the land of Egypt, the whole community shouted at them, or if only we might die in this wilderness. Why is the Lord taking us to that land to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be carried off. It would be better for us to go back to Egypt. And they said to one another, let us head back for Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembled congregation of the Israelites. And Joshua, son of Nun and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, of those who had scouted the land, rent their clothes and exhorted the whole Israelite community. The land that we traversed and scouted is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into that land, a land that flows with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only you must not rebel against the Lord. Have no fear then of the people of the country, for they are our prey. Their protection has departed from them, but the Lord is with us. Have no fear of them. As the whole community threatened to pelt them with stones, the presence of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they have no faith in me despite all the signs that I have performed in their midst? I will strike them with pestilence and disown them. And I will make of you a nation far more numerous than they. But Moses said to the Lord, when the Egyptians from whose midst you brought up this people in your might hear the news, they will tell it to the inhabitants of that land. Now they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, that you, O Lord, appear in plain sight when your cloud rests over them and when you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. If then you slay this people to a man, the nations who have heard your fame will say, 
it must be because the Lord was powerless to bring that people into the land. He had promised them an oath, on oath that he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Therefore I pray, let my Lord's forbearance be great, as you have declared, saying, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, yet not remitting all punishment, but visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to your great kindness, as you have forgiven this people ever since Egypt. Pardon these people. And the Lord said, I pardon, as you have asked. Nevertheless, as I live, and as the Lord's presence fills the whole world, none of the men who have seen my presence and the signs that I have performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, and who have tried me these many times and have disobeyed me, shall see the land that I promised on oath to their fathers. None of those who spurn me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he was imbued with a different spirit and remained loyal to me, him will I bring into the land that he entered, and his offspring shall hold it as a possession. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites occupy the valleys. Start out then, tomorrow, and march into the wilderness by way of the Sea of Reeds. The Lord spoke further to Moses and Aaron. How much longer shall that wicked community keep muttering against me? Very well, I have heeded the incessant muttering of the Israelites against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I will do to you just as you have urged me. In this very wilderness shall your carcasses drop. Of all of you who were recorded in your various lists from the age of 20 years up, you who have muttered against me, not one shall enter the land in which I swore to settle you, save Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Your children, who you said would be carried off, these will I allow to enter. They shall know the land that you have rejected, but your carcasses shall drop in this wilderness. While your children roam the wilderness for 40 years, suffering for your faithlessness, until the last of your carcasses is down in the wilderness. You shall bear your punishment for 40 years, corresponding to the number of days, 40 days, that you scouted the land, a year for each day. Thus you shall know what it means to thwart me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Thus will I do to all that wicked band that has banded together against me. In this very wilderness, they shall die to the last man. As for the man whom Moses sent to scout the land, those who came back and caused the whole community to mutter against him by spreading calumnies about the land, those who spread such calumnies about the land died of plague by the will of the Lord. Of those men who had gone to scout the land, only Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh sur survived. When Moses repeated these words to all the Israelites, the people 
were overcome by grief. Early next morning, they set out toward the crest of the hill country, saying, We are prepared to go up to the place that the Lord has spoken of, for we were wrong. But Moses said, Why do you transgress the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be routed by your enemies, for the Lord is not in your midst. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there to face you, and you will fall by the sword, inasmuch as you have turned from following the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. Yet defiantly they marched toward the crest of the hill country, though neither the Lord's Ark of the Covenant nor Moses stirred from the camp. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that hill country came down and dealt them a shattering blow at Hormah. Perfect, thank you so much. Thank you, Sharon. So we're gonna go back over this now. It's quite an amazing story. Um, and uh, there's so much. You want me to show it or not? What? You want me to show the text still or you want me to stop showing the text? Uh, you could show them from the beginning or okay. go back to the beginning. So. Um, Keep your eyes closed so you don't get dizzy as I scroll back. <laughs> So there are um, so many complicated um, things going on here. Um, and um, on, the, on the one hand, um, well, I think I've, I've, I've said this before many times, but I wanna say it again, that there are two voices in Torah always. There's the voice of love, kindness, and generosity that uh, uh, and there's the voice of fear domination and power over and um it's not just in torah it's in each of us it's in every it's in america it's in every country in the world and it's almost in every person in the world that these two voices are in conflict with each other and um uh and um most of us are someplace on a continuum between the voice of fear and the voice of hope, the voice of domination and the voice of love and generosity. And, um, uh, and we move often from one to the other or from one part of the continuum. Uh, and there are a whole bunch of, in, in, um, uh, in many of my books, I try to describe what makes that movement go in one direction or the other. So um, in this, uh, in this uh, reading that we've just read, um, there is a, um, uh, on the face of it, uh, um, it looks like this is a, um, uh, an early Zionist vision, okay? It says, the land is ours and we have every right to it and, um, um, and uh, we ought to conquer it and take, take it. Um, and then there's uh, another kind of, uh, and that's it, that seems to be what's coming out of the text. Now, the rabbis having this text, but not being, um, uh, having so much of the uh, conquer, um, conquer mentality, try to um, um, soften this in a variety of ways and to at least explain some of, uh, explain away what seemed to be um, happening. So, um, so if we go back to the very beginning, um, uh, 
Ve'edaber Yireva ve'el Moshe Lemur. Okay, God, uh, the transformer. Okay, I'm on line, thir sentence 13, uh, chapter 13, sentence oh, 1. Okay. Okay. Um, chapter 13, sentence 1? Chapter okay. 13, sentence 1. Oh, right, okay. Okay. That's right. Um, so, uh, Yudhei the transformative power, is speaking to Moses and saying, Shlach lecha, send for to yourself. The translation that you read was not, um, not literal, and but now for looking at it more literally, shlach lecha, send um, for yourself. So the rabbis say, uh, or at least some of the commentators say, because the rabbis themselves are torn in, in wide variety of different ways in every in every word of Torah about what it means and what spirit to go into. But um, so. Um, so some say this, shlach lecha, send to yourself. Now for yourself, right? Shlach lecha to your to you to you. And they say, um, why why is it saying send to you? Because um, maybe God is thinking that even Moses might have some doubts about what is com coming on, and um, and uh, and so if you happen to have some doubts about what the land is like, then to overcome that, send some people to, um, to look at the land. But then the next, so, um, so it's, it, God isn't commanding them to, uh, on, the, on the interpretation that I'm giving now, God isn't commanding them to send, uh, Moses to send, uh, send uh, anybody to uh, look out for the land. God already knows what the land is like. God is saying, if you need this reassurance, then go uh, pick some uh, people. Now, then, vayaturu et, ha, uh, et haaretz. This is normally translated as um, uh, um, tour the land or, you know, visit the land, check out the land. But um, uh, many Hasidic uh, commentators say, wait a second, look at that word, uh, yaturu, and it has in it the, the letters taf, resh, and um, and and then there's a plural vav, but it could be hey. So they say, actually, what's being uh, that what God is saying to them is Torah the land. Now, what does Torah the land mean? Okay. Well, here's what they say. Um, it means bring the spirit of Torah into that land, because um, um, if if a, um, an ethical reality can come there. If there's a place for um, a, a caring, um, love, the, love the stranger, love your neighbor um, a place in that land, or even if it's not there, can you see if you can play some role in bringing it there? Um, be the vanguard, be the teacher, be somebody who can change, transform the consciousness there enough so that um, you won't need any conquest because people will welcome the stranger, welcome us, the, um, the Israelite people. After all, we came from there. We, were, you know, we, we, we derived from that land. Um, we bought, um, well, uh, Abraham bought uh, the caves of Machpelah in Hebron. Um, so um, see if you can, um, Bring a little Torah there, and um, so um, this is 
Okay, now I'm saying, first of all, this is a bit of a stretch, <laughs> but it's a beautiful stretch because, uh, and I'm saying that this is also part of the tradition, but of course there are many others who are, who are in the tradition who say, like everything else in Torah, everything is disputed. Every, every interpretation is disputed by those who take this, its opposite, or, or almost every. Um, so um, bring Torah, bring, bring enlightenment, um, transform, um, lead with that consciousness. See if you can find uh, allies there who have that consciousness, or bring that consciousness to the, to, um, to the land, and that will make a difference. So you can see the difference between that, that way of seeing what God has asked for and what these people do. Because what they do is they, the, 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 um, uh, the spies um, go out and they look at the land entirely from the standpoint of, or almost entirely from the standpoint of its material reality. The material reality is it's got lots of good fruit and vegetables. It's a great place to grow, to grow food. But on the other hand, um, it's there are uh, powerful forces that, are, that we're going to have to fight against and um, that we can't overcome them. So, um, okay, now um, I have, um, why do they see it that way? So here's another interpretation that comes from uh, me, okay? And that is, um, uh, something that I've described to those of you who've been in Torah study before, but uh, with, with me, um, what I call it, I have a book about this, it's called Surplus Powerlessness. Now, Surplus Powerlessness is this. It's, it is, um, we all, there, there are realistically real differences in power between different people. But Surplus Powerlessness is um, uh, the, beside the real inequalities of power that exist in the world uh, or exist in class societies, um, there's also a surplus that we bring to the experience that makes us feel more powerless than we really need to be. And it is that surplus powerlessness that is being manifested here. Um, after all, it, um, who are these people? These people have just come from the experience in Egypt of having um, deeply doubted that it was possible to get out of slavery. And Moses and uh, Aaron, who have connected to the transformative power of the universe, the force that makes possible the transformation from that which is to that which ought to be. That's what I'm, that's what I mean and I think what Yudhe means. Okay, what Yudhe Vavhe means is the force in the universe. They call it, we translated it as God, but it's actually the force that makes possible the transformation from that which is to that which ought to be. That's the, the, the governing power of the universe, the force that, now that force, um, uh, Moses comes in and tells the people, that force is behind us, we're gonna get out of here. And the people quickly, as soon as uh, Pharaoh reacts negatively, the people are um, uh, angry at Moses. They don't believe Moses, etc. And it takes um, a good while, 10 plagues worth of uh, things that happened to the Egyptians before the people are ready to leave e Egypt at all. And when they do, according to one Midrash, only 20% of the um, Israelites left. 80% um, stayed because they were so 
that they were so filled with surplus powerlessness that they couldn't believe the possibility of transformation. Now, this is a central issue for all social movements, okay? Because um, if you read my book, um, uh, Revolutionary Love, you'll see a picture of how we might be able to transform the world. But the normal reaction that most people have to that, as they have to many other parts, many other attempts at describing um, a different world, is to say, all very nice, Rabbi Lerner, all very nice, you, you lefties or you progressives or whatever, very sweet ideas you have, but it'll never happen. It can't happen. The world is the way the world is and it can't be changed and nothing can be transformed. So be realistic. Narrow your demands to something that can happen, okay? Um, so uh, we're seeing this happening right now where um, in, the, in the struggle around the race, racism in which um, there are some people saying we need structural change. Okay, great. I agree we need structural change. What kind of change? And then um, there's, there are a few of us who are saying, we need to overcome the capitalist system. We need to transform the world fundamentally because as long as we're in that system, the ethos of selfishness and materialism will continually be reinforced day in and day out in the experience of people in the world of work and in the media that, uh, that uh, celebrates this world. And on the other hand, um, and so um, people hear that all the time and they say, um, look, uh, we'll pat you on the head for a nice vision. It's very sweet that you have that vision, but we want to be realistic and realistic means we have to narrow the demand. So what's the narrowing demand? Well, we'll change the police forces. Okay. All right. That's, that's nice. That's certainly part of uh, our vision of a different world. It's a, it's a tiny little part of it. Um, and uh, how are you going to do that? Oh, well, we'll have a police, re police review commission. Um, we tried that. Many cities, the police review commissions have had no power. We'll give them more power or whatever. Okay, in other words, um, they take the most narrow possible, um, possible view of even of that because they want to be realistic. And the more they are realistic, the narrower their demands and the less they get, the less they, the less they get. This is the whole, this was, of course, the debate between, um, between many who supported uh, um, Bernie and many who supported uh, uh, Joe Biden. Um, hey, we've got to be, uh, many people who actually agreed with the programs of Bernie, nevertheless said, I can't vote for him because it's unrealistic, because others will act in this way that they, uh, they won't support him if he gets the nomination and they'll reject it. And so to be realistic, we'll vote for Biden in the first place so that he gets it because he's the one who can, be, uh, who can beat um, Trump. Okay, but, but what, what do you get? Well, we don't actually agree with what, he stand, what he's been saying he stands for. Well, maybe that will change. Actually, it, it, I'm hoping it will change. I'm not ruling out that there will be something um, marginally better than what he has said so far. I think there will be. But what I'm saying to you is, the surplus powerlessness is the part that says you can't even stand for what you believe in yourself, okay? And you can watch that. Now, we, uh, uh, Biden learned that at the hands of a master of surplus, I mean, of, of a master, a, sub, a sub, subjugated by a surplus powerlessness, namely uh, Obama. Obama had all these wonderful ideas um, when he met with me personally 
and um, talked to me about and said, Michael, I love your book, uh, The Left Hand of God, um, Taking Back Our Country from the Religious uh, uh, Right. And I agree with all of it. And, um, and okay, I'm not going to go more to Obama. Just say that, that um, in, he was, um, he, I, I believe that that was true of him. But when he came to power, he was so impressed with the relative powerlessness of, um, of the progressive forces that he didn't even put forward and stand for a lot of his own largest vision. He already narrowed it and narrowed it and narrowed it to something he thought could appeal to the Republicans in the Congress. And they, of course, rejected, <laughs> rejected his, his narrow, narrow, narrow visions on most, um, most accounts. So the energy, so if I'm talking about social energy, we say the energy of, the dom of domination and fear and power over others versus the energy of love, caring, and kindness. And most of us on a continuum, someplace on this, well, one of the things that moves it in one way or the other is the degree to which people are willing to fight for their highest uh, visions. And the more that they um, say, oh, that'll never happen, it moves more and more towards the world of domination control. Um, and uh, on the other hand, to the extent that people believe it can happen, a fundamental transformation, more and more people are inclined to take seriously the movement towards a higher vision of a world of love, kindness, and generosity. But all of us have inside of us, when we see and look at the, uh, the world as it is, yeah, there are these Amalekites, okay? Amalek standing for the, the, the force of power over domin domination and so forth. And we think, oh, we'll never be able to overcome that. So what kind of compromises do we need to make in order to, um, to adjust to that? So instead of thinking, we're gonna go in there, la Torah that's to, to Torah the land, which if they understood that uh, um, injunction, they would have gone to, to spread a world of a love, a love and kindness they look at it entirely from a materialist reductionist perspective. What's our forces versus their forces? Uh, who's going to win the battle? Without understanding that it's possible to talk to the hearts of people and to move them without having to just count how many soldiers you have on your side. Um, so, okay, now. Uh, uh, what? So, I'm soon to want to go into the groups with you. Um, okay, so um, so it's this tension that is is being represented here. Now, um, now um, one can say, "Hey, look, this is uh, this is the um, the right hand of the Jewish people, the 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 the, the hand of uh, domination, power, and control, which we see now in ascendancy in the, the land of Israel with um, the state of Israel. I mean, with um, uh, Netanyahu and uh, the, okay, how are we going to handle the Palestinians? We're going to just take their land. You know, we're going to annex it to Israel. And uh, they'll have a few cities that are under their control, surrounded by um, uh, settlers and so forth. Um, and what I'm saying is that consciousness rejoices when they read this chat. The Shlachacha, the, they hear it as saying, yeah, see, we've got to go up, we've got to be Vigilant, we've got to be strong, we've got to have power over, etc. But, but the, you can also read this as saying, God's saying, no, it's not just a question of who has the material strength, it's who has the spiritual strength. And um, so 
when they have abandoned God in this chapter, they can't win the battle. They can't win the battle. Um, uh, it, insofar as it has to be a battle, number one, so that's the question, does it have to be a battle or it can be a transformation of consciousness uh, as you go there? But number two, not only who can win the, ba who can win the battle, but who can um, speak to the hearts of others in a way that moves them out of our love, our generosity, our caring for them, to see if they will share with us what, they, uh, what is possible to share. So um, before we go, so uh, there are more things to say about this little part, um, but um, uh, I'd like to have a chance for us to go into small groups and for each of you to talk with others about what you're seeing in this chapter that is outrageous or what is encouraging or what you love about it or what you hate about it. But Kat has... Um, I just want to say one other thing that I, I noticed about this, which is uh, Moses adds a whole bunch to... God just says, send people if you need to. He doesn't tell Moses what to tell the people. And then Moses goes into it, um, go up there and see what kind of country it is. Are the people who dwell in it strong or weak? Few or many? Are this country in which they dwell good or bad? Are the towns open or fortified? Is the soil rich or poor? Wooded or not? So he's narrowing the vision of what they could see to an either or world. He's not providing them the opportunity to go open to just go, go explore, report back what you see. He asks them specifically, do you see A or B, good or bad? And, and I, that's a really important thing for us to think about as we not only, as we think about how we wanna transform our world and how we wanna shape our movements, can we imagine asking questions that are much more open and allow people to tap into their creative visions and dreams rather than narrowing it to an either or? Beautiful. So um, we're going to ask you to go, go, you're going to be assigned to, uh, to um, groups now uh, to talk for about 15 minutes about your reactions to what we've, what I've talked about and what the Torah, Torah chapter is talking about. I want to ask you, um, first of all, to introduce yourself to the, uh, the people in that group and um, get to know a little bit about who they are, because part of our goal in, um, uh, in our movement, um, the love and justice movement, uh, is to um, help people make connections with others who share similar values. So, um, so I'm going to send, okay, so you can't see me because I'm on a different computer, so I'll turn it this way. Um, so I'm going to send you into breakout rooms now, and you'll see a little thing pop up that says join breakout room. So you just click on it, and then make sure you unmute yourself when you get there. If you're on a phone to unmute yourself, it's either star six or someone told me star six, seven. I still think it's star six, but you can, you can test both. Um, and if star you have, six or star six, seven. Right. And if you have a problem in your group or a question from your group, um, you can raise your hand in the, um, in the breakout room and uh, we'll find you. And um, yeah, so um, how, many, how much time do you want to give them? 15 minutes. Okay. Um, what time is it now? 11, 12. Okay, good. So I'm going to give you 17 minutes just so you have time to get there and connect with folks. Um, okay, maybe it'll be 13 minutes. <laughs> so let me give you.
What we're going to do is take um, 10 minutes to just hear any issues that came up or anything, points that you learned in the discussion or something that you want to raise. But the thing is, you know, we only have 10 minutes to do that because we're going on to Karach. So um, please make the very short, not long talks, but make your point or say something that, or ask, or question, or ask your or question or whatever. Um, we're not, um, we're not trying to limit the content, but only the time. Okay. Um, so is there anybody who'd like to start say, to say something about what came up for you? What? You can raise your hand. I or... would. <laughs> okay. Who's that? It's Ari. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So I like the, uh, uh, Rabbi Lerner, I liked when you talked about, you drashed Yitru uh, to, to scout the land as this material uh, positioning as opposed to the way the rabbis uh, conceptualized it, or at least one or two rabbis did, where the Tafresh was the Torah. And then if I take what you have shared uh, from Revolutionary Love as the parts of the Torah that are revolutionary love-esque, then that's a really cool possibility uh, and way to look at what we read. I don't see them as diametrically opposed, though, too. I see land, I see materiality and spirituality in a more indigenous way, knowledge's way, and I think maybe they did too way back when, which is to see it much more unified instead of separate and it's this it's either or so i'm taking that idea of cat of either or and saying yeah probably not either or there so <laughs> that's it thank you Beautiful. thank you great um so i think i saw another hand but it seems to have disappeared dale, dale is there and uh, okay. mark okay Weinstein go ahead dale um, mute yourself oh i'm looking at hands on the thing on the participant thing okay so dale boom go ahead can i mute yourself or do you need me to unmute you Okay, I've asked you to unmute. Yep. Okay, there's a profound thing about this this whole experience we're having here today. And it's really a choice between darkness and light, wisdom and truth and love and, and ignorance and death and destruction. And I think the whole essence of this thing is leadership. And I think what we have to do is remove fatally flawed mortals out of the equation and focus on what is the highest idea for everyone concerned and then argue the living heck out of it and with all uh, to death, you know, and say, and then, you know, we'll have, we'll have people serving as, as uh, leaders and chiefs. And they after after everybody's contributed and all the information is out, uh, then, then somebody's got to say, okay, we'll, we'll try this. Now that doesn't commit us for eternity to hell. That says, well, we, we, we lo it looks like a, a good idea. Maybe it's a good idea. We don't know if it's a good idea until we put it into practice. And then guess what? We tried something and it failed. And we all take responsibility for it and say, gee, we really learned something. Isn't that wonderful? So I think if we can get the idea that we need this leader and that leader and that individual, and they've got to serve for a lifetime, and we're, we're, we're stuck in this rut because we can't change quickly. We can't learn quickly, and we can't transform things quickly. We, 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 we... Thank you, Dale. Beautiful. Thank you.
Um, uh, Sharon and then Mark. I'm going to go to the next screen. Okay. Sharon, you have to unmute. You're not unmuted. We, we were talking about how do we know which leadership voice to follow? You know, Caleb or the others, or we brought it to today, you know, what Obama represented and what Trump represents. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, what you're saying, Dale, sounds very much like what we were getting at. But I'm thinking about the uh, book that I've studied by Rabbi Lerner, Embracing Israel-Palestine. And it's very hard when groups are coming out of trauma to latch on to the hopeful vision and the vision of love and, and meaning and, and uh, compassion. And I think that we are going through that now, the trauma of the pandemic and the trauma of the political breakdown of our system. And the, we're, we're uncovering all the holes in materialism. And so I'm thinking also of another writer who's been mentioned a lot, Benet Brown, and the idea that, you know, out of these wounds come sometimes the most fertile ideas, if we can only latch on to them, as you say. But it occurs to me that, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, Moses' narrow vision, as Kat was suggesting, the kind of either-or choices. And we need to uh, have more discussion. You know, it, it, it's a, a concern of mine that we don't have a Torah portion where we see people talking about and arguing through the Ten Commandments. You know, why don't we, why don't we see a model, you know, for what the meaning is that the people were getting in that? Um, so um, that's beautiful. we need to be more hopeful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. I just want to say you're, that the, one of the things that's so rich for me about the Jewish tradition is that um, for the last 2,000 years, we've been arguing with each other about and learning from each other about what these words actually mean. And, um, and there's no end to it. And, um, and, it's been, and it is very empowering for people to have a book as their, uh, you know, a, a sets of teachings that are out there in print or out there in, in, uh, on the Torah scrolls and that the people every week sit together and talk about it. And that kind of empowerment is a beautiful thing that I believe has contributed to the holiness of the Jewish people. Um, not enough because we're still very screwed up, but also because <laughs> as you say, the traumas have kept on happening to us. You know, So it's not like, oh, well, there was a trauma 2000 years ago. Is that this? And, and, but I think what you're saying is beautiful and deeply right and that when we look at our world, we have to see all the trauma that people are responding to and then try to provide an alternative um, way of dealing with that trauma to strike out at somebody or rather to work out your frustration by striking out at others who are less power, powerful than you are, um, as, as Israel is doing right now in, towards the Palestinians. But yeah, let's, we also have to have compassion for those people who are doing that, um, just as I have compassion for people who voted for Trump or whatever, you know, I, I don't see them as all just evil. I see them also as having had a lot of trauma in, in this society. 
Um, so next is uh, Mark. I think was Mark. Mark. Yep. Thank you, Sharon. Yeah. Thanks, Sharon. That was a beautiful. Point. And then Doris says after Mark, I see your hand. Okay. Thanks. Mark. Hang on, Mark. I gotta invite you to unmute yourself. Hang on, Mark. Mark. One second, Doris. We're gonna get Mark and then and then you. I just got it. Mark, you're still muted. Uh, let me find you. Okay. How's there that? Yep. Now okay. we can hear you. Go for it, Mark. Yeah, um, Rabbi, you said a lot of things about uh, what happened with Obama when he came in, and I agree with them. You know, he didn't seize the moment. And um, so I'm of two minds now. One is that I'm scared to death that Trump will get back in, you know, because of a stolen election. And if that doesn't happen, and let's pray for that, um, if Biden gets in there, especially you got that from the, the other two guys I was talking with, that he goes there and he seizes the moment. He rises above being a centrist. He, you know, he, he, because I, I, I've always liked him. He's a tough guy from New Jersey. He knows what a street fight is and he's kept his humanity. And I hope that he gets good people into his cabinet. I think that'll be very telling. If he's president and he puts, surrounds himself by relevant people, that will be telling. If he, if he surrounds himself by, you know, yes men or corporate people, that will be telling too. Mm -hmm. And I think that'll be pretty, pretty uh, quick to see what he does, which direction he's headed. Thank you. Mirza Hashem, as they say. God willing, it should happen when you, you talk about. And uh, of course, better, way better to have him than uh, have the uh, um, narcissist in chief reelected. Um, so, um, can you uh, think of anyone who would be worse than Trump to have? Yes, <laughs> yes, I can, because Ooh. Trump is not doing what Hitler did. Is not rounding up people yeah. who are disagree with him and putting them in prison or into concentration camps. He hasn't gone that. That doesn't mean he wouldn't in the second in his second term. But judging on behavior in his first term, he hasn't done as bad as that. And I, yeah, so uh, yeah, I can think of worse than, than Trump. Yeah, I, that's where we disagree. I think he's done everything he was able to do that was not good. You know, the the wall. Everything he's done has been incrementally in a bad direction. But okay, uh, okay. Yeah. He is rounding up people. He's rounding up all the, a lot of immigrants that are here illegally. Absolutely. True. So. Yes. yes. Okay. Thank you, Mark. And now, uh, so one, one thing, you know, like in our story, the desert is considered like this awful place and a place of hardship and, you know, place just to get it over with. And I think that's a very white uh, people's perspective because, you know, I've been in Sinai and it's been wonderful. Plus there are indigenous people who live there and I'm sure they don't consider where they live an awful place. So I think the whole story is coming from a very narrow, you know, white, you know, our perspective and not looking at the whole reality. Mm -hmm. Well, and yeah. Although the, the Bible doesn't always deal, look at it uh, in that way as, as a terrible place. Um, and uh, so um, at a certain, one of the, I think it's uh, Jeremiah who has the vision, it's either Jeremiah or Isaiah, 
that uh, has God saying, in Zacharti Lach Nurayach, I remember when you were young, Lechtech Acharai Bamidbar, Be'eretz Lo that you, you chased after me, you ran after me um, with, in an unsowed land, as, you know, a, a land that was not built up, it was not uh, producing stuff. And that was the good old days, <laughs> okay? So there's definitely um, consciousness in the Bible that's affirming that there's something very good about this experience in the, in the wilderness. Uh, after all, they, they don't have to work in order to get food, <laughs> right? The manna comes down every day. It's boring, for sure, but nevertheless, um, it's, it's sustainable. It's, uh, so yes, I, I, I definitely affirm what you're saying. Um, Okay. okay, so we have three more hands and then, and then we're going to wrap it up. So it's, uh, first is um, Shlomo, who, who asked me how to raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> One second, let me see something. Yeah, okay, very quickly, I, I, I want to go back to this interesting chapter. Uh, wait a second. Yeah, to, uh, so uh, it's interesting that what, what is described in the chapter is, um, is basically zealotness. I mean, you have the big zealot, uh, Moses, uh, ask the people, you send the people to a war to kill everybody, essentially. And, uh, and that's how Israel was created. <laughs> and it reminds me a concept in uh, popular psychology is called a uh, strong suit. So the strong suit, that is the zealotness that make Israel also destroyed Israel. And he destroyed it in, this, in the first, second temple. And he destroyed it also, and he's destroying it now. And uh, something similar happened in the United States. What created the United States was a <clears throat> very aggressive capitalism. And capitalism eventually will kill America. And we are in that process of dying, dying imperial, dying America and dying Israel, essentially soul-wise soul, soul for sure, but also eventually physically. And the question is how we, <laughs> how we can somehow stop this uh, terrible uh, slide into, into the, the obese. Right. So let me, beautiful. And let me just add something here. Okay, this is another point that I was going to make, but I didn't want to take, take the time yeah. before. Okay, okay. Um, there's another interpretation of the story that says these 10, the 10, um, who resisted going in, into the land were actually um, the, our prototypes of um, nonviolent um, people who said, we don't want a war. We don't want to fight for this war. We don't see any of this land. We don't see any way to do it except through violence and we don't want violence. So we are the, the movement consciousness people and, uh, and uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb were the militants. So if we, if I had been there, maybe I would have been on the side of the ten and said, "Right on. We don't need to. Uh, if if the only way we can get out of slavery is to oppress other people, to have violence against other people, we will go back to slavery. I don't want to be in that situation." Now, of course, you might say, "No, that's you know, you have to fight your way out." And if you want to take that into the to the um, 19th century in the United States, then um, you probably wouldn't have been on the side of those who said, 
don't fight against the uh, slavery. You know, don't fight the civ uh, uh, civil war. Let them have their slavery if that's what they believe in, because there are other people suffering. Okay, so it's a complex question when you apply, but I'm just saying there's something good about these, uh, these 10 who are, you know, and God punishing them for, for that? No, maybe God should be rewarding them for at least having the consciousness to want, not want to go into, uh, into violence. Now, I'm saying this is a possible reading, um, and uh, I don't, I have not read it any, I think I, I've made this one up, okay? I don't, I don't remember any place that I've read this in any of the, the commentators, but uh, um, it's a whole different way of understanding what was good about what those 10, ten uh, messengers, those 10 spies brought back with them. Okay, so now Dale and then Jeff, and then we're going to move on to Korach, because this is a very great, all this conversation has been a great lead-in into Korach. So, yeah. <laughs> Dale. But which Dale is it now? What happened to you? Um, I, I'm just going to say that I, I, found, I found the reading really um, problematic and um, so antithetical to the way we live as a, as a Jewish culture that if you question, you're punished. If you have fear, you're punished. If you um, have voice to other, you're punished. And um, that's not who we are as a people. We argue about every word, as you said, every, every, and, and I, so I really appreciated when you, I appreciate being with you, Rabbi, our two rabbis, um, because you recognize the, inter the reality of humanity in, in both the dark and the light. And in this reading, it's um, so punitive and so um, narrow that it's really hard to, because uh, I, of course, uh, would not have been able to go because I would have been afraid and I wouldn't have, wh why go in and be slaughtered? So, so um, anyway, um, I appreciate the, the uh, commentary that, and, and the alternatives that you provide, it's the way that you keep me in Judaism because otherwise this kind of thing would have me um, not be able to participate. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you, that's all I have to say. You, but, nice so, to see you. Yeah, Dale, good to see you. Uh, so one, what, I just want to add one thing here, that um, uh, the truth of uh, what happened is very different than what the um, book of Joshua talks about, the conquest of the land from all of the, uh, almost, it's the preponderant view now of those who are, um, who have studied the uh, archeology span and the, um, uh, uh, of, the, of the land that um, there never was a conquest, that that never happened, that there was, no, there was no genocide of the people who lived there or anything like that. I can't make the whole argument now, but I will make it when we get to the book of Deuteronomy. It never happened. There never was a conquest. It was a whole different reality. This book, the Torah that we're reading, was put together um, about uh, um, someplace like 800 years after the time that it's talking about. And it had a particular reason for trying to portray Jews as that strong because it was being written for the Jews living in the, uh, the exile in Babylonia. Um, too long a story to go into right now, but just to say there never was a conquest and there never was a genocide of the people who lived there. Moving right along. 
Jeff, and then we're going to move on. With Jeff, Jeff, I guess. Um, I was actually in the same group with Mark, and um, he brought up Obama. And we were talking about what you um, had said before we went into the groups about Obama failing to actualize his ideals. Um, and, uh, and Mark mentioned the fact that um, his opportunity, his window of opportunity was the, during those first two years when he had both houses with him. Um, but he tended to capitulate too easily to the Republicans and the conservative elements uh, within the Democratic Party, people like Joe Lieberman. And my feeling, um, uh, in fact, uh, talking to Mark about it reminded me, I had forgotten about it for a long time. My feeling back then was that it was because he was coming out of a background, he was trained as a community organizer. He was coming out of a background of conflict resolution. Um, do you agree with that? Yes, totally. In fact, I went and um, the organization that he worked for, I went to speak to about this um, during his during his presidency in Chicago, and uh, of course they were shocked. What are are teaching such a nice way of everybody getting along with each other and uh, recognizing the truths of all sides? Yeah, that can at a certain point lead people from not standing up for a vision of the good and and fighting for it. I don't mean fighting with physical, but fighting for it with words and support for a clear vision. So yes, I totally agree that this is what was happening. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, everyone. So now we're going to continue on. Um, we're going to finish with, um, here we go. So 1538 in numbers. So I will share that on the screen. And um, somebody, Heidi, are you still with us? Are you able to read? Or Dale, does somebody want to read? Just go ahead. I can, I can read. Great. Thank you. Who was that? Okay, start. The Lord said to Moses right there. Okay. okay. The Lord said to Moses as follows. Speak to the Israelite people and instruct them to make for themselves fringes on the corners of their garments throughout the ages. Let them attach a cord of blue to the fringe at each corner. That shall be your fringe. Look at it and recall all the commandments of the Lord and observe them so that you do not follow your heart and eyes in your lustful urge. Thus shall you be reminded to observe all my commandments and to be holy to your God. I, I am, I am, I, the Lord am your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I, the Lord, your God. Well, just to show you what tzitzit, just in case you don't know what tzitzit are that, that is being commanded, it's this. It's these, it. these are the four, they're supposed to be on the four corners. Um, the reason that we no longer have a blue thread the rabbis said, well, the blue thread had to be made from a particular, um, particular source of, uh, of uh, blueness that no longer can be found. <laughs> so, so they no longer put the blue thread in, but this was the command. So we have it on the four corners of the talit, and that's why we wear the talit. Um, uh, it didn't say put a special garment on, it said put it on the four corners of your, uh, of, of your clothes, but in those days, the clothes had four corners. Now, most clothes don't have four corners. So we created uh, a talis so, um, so that we'd have four corners to put the talit on, uh, to put the tzitzit on. 
Okay, now we're going, um, when you can continue on the next, um, the next uh, page, uh, the next, um, which is the beginning of Korah, continue to read. Who's reading? Yeah, I'm Heidi. Oh, Heidi, great. Hi, Heidi. Hi, Heidi. Now, Korah, son of Ishar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, betook himself along with Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab and On, son of Peleth, descendants of Reuben, to rise up against Moses, together with 250 Israelites, chieftains of the community, chosen in the assembly, men of repute. They combined against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far, for all the community are holy, all of them, and the Lord is in their midst. Why then do you raise yourselves above the Lord's congregation? When Moses heard this, he fell on his face. Then he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Come morning, the Lord will make known who is his and who is holy and will grant him access to himself. He will grant access to the one he has chosen. Do this, you, Korah, and all your band. Take fire pans, and tomorrow put fire in them and lay incense on them before the Lord. Then the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. Moses said further to Korah, Hear me, sons of Levi. It is not enough for you that God of Israel has set you apart from the community of Israel and given you access to him to perform the duties of the Lord's tabernacle and to minister to the community and serve them. Now that he has advanced you and all your fellow Levites with you, do you seek the priesthood too? Truly, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have banded together. For who is erring that you should rail against him? Moses sent for Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come. Is it not enough that you brought us from a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, that you would also lord it over us? Even if you had brought us to the land flowing with milk and honey and given us possessions of fields and vineyards, should you gouge out those men's eyes? We will not come. Moses was much aggrieved, and he said to the Lord, Pay no regard to the oblation. I have not taken the ass of any of them, nor have I wronged any one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company appear before the Lord, you and they and Aaron. Each of you take his firepan and lay incense on it, and each of you bring his firepan before the Lord. 250 firepans, you and Aaron, and also bring your firepans. Each of them took his firepans and put fire in it, laid incense on it, and took his place at the entrance of the tent of meeting, as did Moses and Aaron. Korah gathered the whole community against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then the presence of the Lord appeared to the whole community. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Stand back from this community that I may annihilate them in an instant. But they fell on their faces and said, O oh God, source of breath of all flesh, 
when one man sins, will you be wrathful with this whole community? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the community and say, withdraw from above the abodes of Korah, Datham, and Abiram. Moses rose and went to Datham and Abiram, the elders of Israel following him. He addressed the community saying, move away from the tents of those wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them, lest you be wiped out for all their sins. So they withdrew from the abodes of Korah, Datham, and Abiram. Now Datham and Abiram had come out and they stood at the entrance of their tents with their wives, their children, and their little ones. And Moses said, by this you shall know that it was the Lord who sent me to do all these things, that they are not of my own devising. Mm -hmm. If these men die, as all men do, if their lot be the common fate of all mankind, it was not the Lord who sent me. But if the Lord brings about something unheard of, so that the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belong to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, you shall know that these men have spurned the Lord. Scarcely had he finished speaking all these words when the ground other than, under them burst asunder and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, all Korah's people and all their possessions. Hmm. They went down alive into Sheol and all that belonged to them, the earth closed over them and they vanished from the midst of the congregation. Okay, let's stop right let's stop there. here. <laughs> you want to take, take, take it away? Thanks, guys. Heidi. <laughs> um, so can you all see me? Okay, I got to move this computer. Okay, so um, I'm just going to share some of my reflections on this because traditionally the way this... Parsha, Parsha, excuse me, is understood is um, Korah was challenging Moses and, and, and the other ones, and, and they rightfully deserved what they got, that there was something just about what transpired. And, um, and I've been sitting with that in, in the midst of um, people speaking truth to power and trying to be heard when they're not giving space to be heard. And so I've been looking at this differently this, this year. Um, because Korach and, and the others are trying to say to Moses, hey, we're holy too, we're all holy, and we should be able to participate in creating decisions for our community, which is what was so interesting because it's what so many of you said just a little while ago about how do we share power and how do we make sure everyone has a voice in our conversations and how do we debate. And Moses's way of debating in this instance, right, was to use his connection, I would say, with God to bring in God's thunder and power to um, throw Korach and the others to Sheol. So the questions I think that are interesting for us to ask is how do we question those with power? Um, how do we encourage healthy conversations and debates? How do we, how do people, how do those of us who have some power respond in ways that are heart opening rather than earth swallowing opening. 
um, and how do we hold conflict in our communities in ways and in our society in ways that are uplifting and nourishing. And so Korach, I thought it was really interesting too, is that, that Moses was saying, but you have, you have power. You have, you're part of the Levites. You have a certain amount of power. Why are you wanting, why are you wanting more power? And so that's certainly a valid question. Was this an ego trip on Korach's part? Or was this a genuine desire to empower members of the entire community? It doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like he was inviting the whole community. It sounds like it was really a advocacy for himself and a few others. Um, but how, how, might, how might we understand that differently? Or, or is that what was going on? And certainly, um, it's a, it's a really, to me, it's a really interesting question and debate for us to think about as we see people on the streets challenging power, questioning authority, and watching some aspects of authority respond with a desire to just open the earth and swallow them or beat them, and others perhaps wanting to listen. And, um, and so like, what, what might have been a way for this story to have un unraveled that would have empowered a more healthy conversation rather than um, an act from the divine, if you will, to engage. What, and what does that mean today? What would an act from a divine even look like? I mean, we could, as I said in the prayer earlier, we could certainly see that there's ways in which the natural order of the universe is showing us that the way that we're leading our lives, the way that we structured our societies is not sustainable for people or the planet. And so eventually the planet will swallow us up if we don't transform our ways. Um, so those are the questions, questions that I raised. And now I know that you have some other perspectives on this. So we'll share well, that. <laughs> no, I mean, just as I say, um, every, uh, every word and every idea in Torah has over the course of the past few thousand years been challenged in a whole variety of different ways. Um, so yeah, some rabbis were right on, Moshe, you're doing a great job. Others had a more complicated reaction to this and said, um, <clears throat> uh, there are two kinds of disputes. There's a dispute that is for the sake of ego power, and there's a dispute that is for the sake of heaven. Machloket l'shem shemayim. And when, when there's a dispute, that is really between two people or two, <clears throat> two movements that disagree with each other, but the motivation for them is each one wants to serve um, the, uh, the flourishing of a world of kindness, of generosity, of social and economic justice, um, then it's okay. It's okay to fight it out and not physically fight it out, but fight it out in words and in different, but that Korach um, was a, um, a, a dispute that was not for L'Shem HaShemayim, not for the, the sake of heaven. It was for the sake of advancing his own, his own interests. And what were those interests? Well, they go back to, now they say, what, were they, what, were, uh, what was um, Korach actually saying? And they go back to this last uh, reading and the last part of um, the uh, of the shalach part, where it says, put, put um, tzitzit on the corners of your garments. And so uh, Karach says to Moses, um, what if everybody in the, um, the community wore um, talit uh, that was all blue? Then would there be a need for, to put this extra 
little uh, tzitzit uh, on the corner of their garments because the, the garments already are doing that. And, um, and uh, similarly, he made another argument about, um, uh, do we really need a, a Torah in there? If, what if the whole Torah was already um, all plastered on the walls of their, of, or on the, the walls of their tents and so forth? Would we need to have a special Torah reading? Why, why? They don't need it. It's already, uh, it's already in there. On, on. So these are questions that um, the rabbis said were intended to provoke because they didn't recognize the value of having um, uh, uh, various um, reminders for people to bring their consciousness up. But he wasn't interested in bringing their consciousness up. He was interested in winning an argument and, uh, in order to get power for his own group. And that's why Moses says to him back, look, wasn't it enough that you're already part of the Levites? You're already part of the, tri the one tribe that has special uh, advantages. And, um, and be because he's heard from them something that basically is saying, we want to have our tribe have much more power than, than just you. So this brings up another issue um, for me, which is this. I've been in social change movements where um, uh, there was no respect whatsoever for leadership. And the leaders were actually often put down for being leaders. And when the new left uh, largely collapsed in the, uh, after the um, group of misleaders that, uh, that called themselves the, the weathermen had taken over the organization and, um, and uh, put forward their worldview that was um, um, a worldview of, um, well, it said that, you have, that we need a, um, an armed struggle um, now to defeat, uh, and, and that this armed struggle has to take place right now. We have to engage in it right now. Okay, that, um, that and they took over um, the largest student movements, uh, SDS, Students for Democratic Society. Uh, they were clearly misleaders. They were going in the wrong direction. But what, what um, then happened afterwards was that those of us who tried to reconstruct a, a more democratic organization, we're told, no, you're leaders too. And the problem is leadership. We shouldn't have leaders. We should all be um, in this together and democratically decide. Well, I'm for that. But in order to make that happen, you have to bring in all the constituents of the people that you want to be part of your movement. Um, okay, I don't, I don't want to get into the details of it, but to say that what actually happened was a a profound anti-leadership reaction to the bad leadership that was being provided by the, the weather people. And, um, and that, that eventually made, uh, made the, um, the new, new leftists disappear. And um, so I went around and I asked people, I was, I was becoming, uh, I had decided I needed to understand the psychodynamics around and I went, spoke, interviewed many, many people who were in, um, had been involved in the, uh, the new left of the 60s, to ask them, why aren't they still involved in something? And their answer was uniformly the same, because we were treated terribly, because we were trying to be leaders, and the ma majority of people who had been on the, on the left were anti-leadership. So no matter what we did or said, just the fact that we were seen as leaders was enough to make us be seen as um, egotists who wanted power. 
And we, after a while, we said, what's the point? We're not going to stay in a movement where uh, we're abused for putting our ideas forward, or, or as in the case of Rabbi Lerner and some other people, as I was sent to prison for, you know, uh, for being, being a leader in, in the anti-war movement. Why in the world would we want to be part of that? Why should we take those risks when the people in those movements don't give us any support? So this other reading of, of what's going on for Moses is that he's in a situation where um, people are not giving him any recognition for what he has, uh, has available to himself. He, so, so now we get to the question of, well, what does democracy mean? Does it mean that everybody has a, vo a vote? Yes. But does it mean that everybody has e that we have to recognize that everybody has equally good ideas? No. It turns out that in my experience in social movements, that there are some people who have better ideas than other people. Okay. So the so um, it's important to be able to discern who those are and and give support to those rather than saying, "Hey, you're you shouldn't be a bit a leader or put yourself forward in that kind of position." because that's automatically elitist and hence not uh, despicable. Because then you get, um, often get um, deeply mistaken ideas about how to build a movement. And I use as an example, the, um, uh, the decision of um, the people who were doing uh, um, Occupy Wall Street, who refused to develop any concrete demands or, uh, of what, or concrete visions of what they were for. All they could put forward was what they were against. I loved those groups. I loved being in, in, in that situation. It was wonderful to be there. I wasn't trying to be a leader in any way. I was just wanting to be there and experience it and the wonderful people. But the whole thing disappeared in no time flat because they had no leadership that, and the people who could be leaders um, were not wanting to be because they saw that the group of people had no respect for leadership of any sort and so why subject yourself? So that's another side of what might have been happening to Moses. Is Moses saying, "Look, I've I've brought you out. You know, with God's help, we brought you out of slavery. That was just two years ago. Do you not remember that? That don't we have some credit as leaders? You know, most of you were not on our on our side when we were trying to say that. My fe fellow um, people in the tribe of Levi." You weren't, you weren't with us. You were, you were still thinking that I was on an ego trip then. No, can you learn from the experience? And so I could see why you get frustrated. Now, just one last thing and I'll shut up, which is this. Maybe I won't shut up, but anyway, I'll try. Uh, um, one other thing is that the rabbis also had some sympathy for, for um, uh, Korach. So they read this last part where it says, um, um, when, um, when the earth opened its mouth, they went down to Sheol, which might be translated as hell right now, but it, it wasn't quite like hell. But let's say it was a, the place where the living dead or the dead were, went down to Sheol, alive, it says in the text. We just read it. Okay, they went down. So the rabbis, uh, uh, at least one set of rabbis say, you know what? They are, they when the days of the Messiah come, and it's past, and and then we are living in a, a different kind of world, those people will come back because they've never been killed. They're still alive, and they will come back and become leaders of the community as well. So um, their problem was not 
that they were fundamentally e evil. Their problem was that they were putting forward a view that was um, not possible in the historical moment of a bunch of um, dramatized slaves who are um, now following, now being asked to provide equal leadership with the proven leadership that Moses has given. So the rabbis are saying, um, these, not, these are not evil people. They are, their voices should be heard and at the appropriate time when the messianic era comes, we will bring them back to life and they will um, play a role also. So, so we, we can take some questions. If you yeah, to so let's talk a little bit uh, and then we're gonna do the prayer at the end and a pr prayer for uh, yeah. a prayer for healing and a prayer for the dead. And so um, anybody would like to comment, not necessarily on what I say, but on anything about this conversation? Yeah, I would like to say something. Yes, who is it? Okay, so um, is that okay? Yeah, yeah. sure. The, uh, I, I like the idea uh, that you expressed about uh, leadership. Um, and I connected to what's going on right now with the pandemic. So um, we talked about this in our breakout group a little bit. So it's the idea that our world is interdependent in so many ways around this pandemic and how it's trying to be dealt with. And yet, and we have two examples of very different kinds of leadership one is South Korea and the other is New Zealand that seem to have dealt with the pandemic uh, successfully. And yet the world didn't learn any lessons from them. I'm in one of the worst states in the United States, Texas, in terms of uh, how to deal with the pandemic. So again, we see the point that you made, which is that you know people don't seem to, or, or maybe there are different patterns we have to grab onto. Maybe it's a more anarchist positioning on leadership. I don't know. I, I have more questions than answers. That's it. Thank you, sir. Right. So what I'm sa saying is um, it's not uh, crazy for um, Moses to have wanted some extra help. I mean, there is a little point, part of, um, let's, I won't attribute it to anybody in particular. Let's say my friends or people I know who wish that the world, the, the ground would open up and that the, um, uh, all the Trumpists would go down into Sheol. So, you know, I know, let's say, I know many people who think if only we could have a miracle like that and, um, and have uh, only really good positive leadership in this country now. And, um, and wouldn't it be great if, uh, we could get the, um, the president or uh, the prime minister of New Zealand to come over here and provide that kind of leadership or, or somebody like her. Um, so uh, I can understand the instinct to want to see the ground op open under them, even if um, I don't think that's the way we're going to be able to save our society. But um, yeah, so enough said. Anyway. Um, so anybody else would like to say something? If not, I think we're going to go into the prayer after the, the Torah reading. I would, I would like to make a little comment. Uh, I, I don't think rabbis are traditionally trained in uh, social theory, um, group process, power, 
democratic principles. <laughs> so really, and I am uh, very grateful that there's someone like you in this world, and there are a few others, and I would encourage us, if we really want to build a better world, you know, to go to some of these prestigious seminaries and say, look, you've got to expand your curriculum because otherwise you're going to miss some congregants who could make a wonderful contribution. That's all I had to say. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you. <laughs> I've yeah. tried, I've yeah. tried to do that. But again, to some people, when I go and say that, people say, oh, he's looking for something for himself. I, actually, I'm not. So, but anyway, yeah. yes. Yeah, but that, that's the point. I, I'd like to say that in, in a point where there's a, a time where the, the problem is that we are not uh, having leaders who are leading for the sake of heaven. You know, that we are having leaders that are more and more transparently seeking the, you know, greed and self-interest and so on. We do need, I think, rabbinic-like leadership, spiritual trained in spiritual values that remind us of the common good uh, so that we can make a more coherent choice about who our leaders are. And, uh, you know, I, I think whenever I've been interviewing and canvassing Trump supporters by mistake, because I think I'm going to the doors of all the Democrats and I go to the Trump supporters, they're not really willing to talk with me. You know, they, and, and that, I think, is the, the breakdown of, of dialogue is the most unfortunate thing. And that if we can get to the step of just hearing people out, I'm remembering some of the spiritual activism training that I took with Kat. You know, if you could just listen and hear them out and just ask pointed questions that help us each discover where we are. I, I always see that it's fear that's behind these, these positions that are so narrow. Uh, yeah, great. So, thank uh, you, Sharon. Yes, thanks, Sharon. I just want to say that there'd be more openness if people in the liberal and progressive world were to repudiate the, uh, the um, elitism and sense of um, putting down people that has, it has been how many people who are in the in, who have moved to trump heard us and i'd say the 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 clearest thing is that bernie should have done this and now um uh biden should do this to say i repudiate what hillary said that that you who are not with us are a uh, are a um a, 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 bun, basket, a basket of deplorables because that that one state statement has stuck in the minds of tens of millions of people who feel that they've been, that the, the left sees them as all deplorable. And we have not yet had, I don't know why Bernie didn't do this. I begged him to do it in letters to him and so forth. Um, why we haven't had one leader who says, I repudiate that, that is terrible. That's not how we think about you. We have respect for you, even if we disagree with your politics. We have respect for you and we care about you. We care about everybody on the planet. And we don't see everybody who's not with us as a deplorable. So, uh, Dale, anyway. wants to jump. Dale and I think we'll go.
close yeah, out. We, we got to close out. Yeah. yeah. Could I say something about that? Because I see it among Democrats. The yeah. Bernie and the Biden people are yeah. shaming and blaming each other. What do we do about that? Yeah. That's yeah. so. That's what I'll just quickly say this, and then Dale, I'll let you. I'll let you jump in. Since I'm waiting. Um, that's in my training on spiritual activism, which you can find out more about at spiritualprogressives.org.training slash training. Say it again. I'll, Spirit, I'll type it in the chat. Spiritualprogressives.org slash training. training. I'll put it in the chat in a minute. That we, we do exercises in practice in terms of how do we actually um, transform the discourse on the left so we're not shaming and blaming. Because if, if any of you take a moment to think about times in your life when you've been shamed, I can assure you that your response was not one of creativity and inspiration and a desire to connect and a desire to hear what people are said. What happens is we shrink. We, instead of allowing ourselves to take in the shame, we defend ourselves and attack. So we really need to work on, on that type of engagement in the left before we can even really start to reach out to folks who are not with us. So thank you, Jacqueline. And now I'm gonna let Dale jump in and then we'll close. Please make it short, Dale. Yeah, uh, and, and it's all about the issue of leadership. Now, it's not, if everybody frantically goes after, well, what is it, here's the problem. Well, what's the solution? Well, what's the best solution? And, and when somebody comes up with the best solution, they, they say, I think I have a better solution than that. So it's a frantic search for the highest light. And then uh, we're just all crazily running around to find solutions to problems and say, hey, I think I, this might be a good idea. And, and so we vet the, uh, that's our leadership. That's the creator's light, that's the creator's inspiration. And, and if we, we can follow a lower light or a higher light, and the highest light is the one that's best for everybody. Okay. Great. Thank um, you, Dale. Back to page 69 in our, our prayer book. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's the blessing after the Torah reading. It's the second. Uh, it's I got a, it up. Okay. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Emet she who blessed our ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you bless our ancestors, to sisters Sarah, Rebecca, Aleah, and Rachel. Send a blessing of healing to all the people we know who are in need of healing. Go ahead and put those names we in the think, chat. We think particularly of, and then just fill this in as you right now. In your mind, and then if you want yeah. to put it in the chat, you can. Or yeah, this. Um, so we can. Um, Curtis, um, Vanessa, Howard. Um, mm. when, um, uh, Jane Leonard, Jane, Jane, Kaplan, Jane Kaplan, um, so like, please go like, ahead and, yeah, let me just read some of the names from the chat, uh, 
Stephen Goldstein, David Murray, Dolores Wiseman, Mikhail Mudish, Ben Shana Simcha, Jay McClellan, Dorothy Schaefer, Schaefer, Milka Weiss, Ruth Marshall, and I've heard Stacey Axelrod, uh, Cantor Richard Kaplan. <sighs> All those who are suffering, Eliza, Eliza, all those who are Heather Greening, and all those who are suffering the ongoing trauma of racism and cap and classism, and just the ongoing traumas of just living in a society that doesn't value the well-being of all of us. <laughs> May they return to us fully healed, uh, physically and emotionally and spiritually healed. And let us say Amen. And now if you turn to the top of page 973, page 73, then let's read together that top paragraph. Remember... Wait, wait, I'm not there yet. Oh, whoops. Okay. Remember who we, we really are. Yes. <laughs> we are the outpouring of God's love waiting to be fully expressed. We are the platform on which the evolution of consciousness of the universe is about to take its next step toward full awareness. We are the universe's best hopes for bringing an awareness of unity and interconnectedness and interdependence. We are the vehicle through which the world will be healed and repaired. For a brief moment, we have come to consciousness, and we get to experience the mystery and wonder of all being. And then we will pass on. While we are here, while we still have life and consciousness, we can praise God and sing the song of all creatures. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And now down the bottom part of the, the page in Hebrew, which says, I've given you good teachings. Don't forsake this vision. Uh, it's a tree of life to those who hold fast to it. And those who do are happy. who have been 
uh, uh, taken by virtue of this pandemic. And uh, we're also mourning all of those who have been victims of the uh, racist, racist. racist violence and hatred and uh, actually had their lives taken from them. And so, um, and all other peoples on this planet who have suffered from uh, um, murder and, take, uh, and their lives taken from them. And anyone in your life, close people that you care, care about, friends, members of your family, anybody who has, who has passed from the earth and who you want to say Kaddish for. So it's on Amen. <laughs> so we will continue to have um, Torah studies, and um, you can find them listed on our um, on beitikun.org, b-e-y-t-t-i-k-k-u-n.org, and if you go there. Um, in the at least the five days before the next Torah study, you'll find listed listed there the next one. And um, we also send it out. So if you're on our Torah study list, you will receive that. And if you're not on our Torah study list, send us an email you can, with your you email. You can go to that website actually and sign up there to get on the list as well. Yeah, at that website. So yeah. great. And uh, let's do um, the what? Yeah. yeah, but it's got not got enough. Uh, one in it. Okay. Um, so we're going to do a kiddish and. We're going to do um, a kiddish in one second when we get enough. We'll just start with Juice. the summer. The summer. The There's no more in the fridge, so why don't you just... There's no more in the fridge? That's the problem. Hang on one second, sorry. Shabbat Shalom. 
ולא תעשה כל מלאכה, אתה ובנך וביתך, עבדיך ואמתך ובחמתך וגריך אשר בשעריך. So no one, no one should do work, not you, nor anyone in your gates, nor your daughters, nor your sons, nor anyone who works for you, not even your animals. For six days, God made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in it. On the seventh day, she rested. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you.